The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're absolutely in the right place. The buzz today, well, let's hark back to 1967, a song written by Joni Mitchell, made more famous by Judy Collins the same year. I've looked at life from both sides now. No, I will not sing. Let's talk about this in regard to recent university graduates, those people who've just spent all that money and time getting a degree. What are they going to do? Well, let's look at the prospects. Some say they could be very gloomy. Why? Too many graduates are chasing too few jobs. Why are there too few jobs? Let's drill down. More companies are finding they have to run lean. That means they are cutting staff. They are lowering wages. They are under cost containment programs. Not enough jobs to go around, especially not for newbies with not a lot of experience. Let's flip the coin and look at the other side. Thank you, Joni Mitchell. Optimism. Some say there has never been a better time for the right group of college classmates, friends to start a business together. I have some breaking news that my panel has not even heard about yet. Let me just break this and then we'll focus more on the topic. The good news Forbes reported in February 2016, millennia I've never heard of that word, are starting more businesses targeting higher profits. They have launched about twice as many businesses as baby boomers. Be still my heart, I'm a boomer. They're the millipreneurs as a new, new survey puts it and at just 20 to 35 years old, they're starting more companies, managing bigger staffs, OMG, and targeting higher profits than their baby boomer predecessors. The findings come from a 2016 BNP Paribas Global Entrepreneur Report. They This is a consultancy that surveyed 2,600 high and ultra-high net worth entrepreneurs from 18 countries. That's a big survey. Guess what? Collectively, they're worth over 17 billion with a B dollars. So if this is such a good thing for millennials, for new grads, how do they do it? Well, it could be very easy. They need a brilliant idea. They need a strong, focused, motivating leader. They need a content-relevant website. They need savvy social marketing and minimal capital. It sounds easy. It sounds like I just wrote the game plan, but maybe it's not quite that easy. How about 
support from businesses? How about support from families? How about additional skills? We have a panel of three experts who are going to help us. Oh, we just got a text from somebody. Uh, help us figure this out. Let me just tell you who's on the panel, and then I'll start introducing them. First up, in a moment, I will be welcoming Brian Pierce, a partner with EY Ernst & Young LLP and the EY Global Leader of Entrepreneurship, and a shout-out to all of our good friends at EY who send us wonderful panelists. Joining him on the panel is Jose Fernandez, a newcomer to Game Changers. He's the Director of Programs at the Global Good Fund, and he's a former Consular Officer of the Consulate General of Spain in New York. Very exciting background. Welcoming Jose and rounding out the panel, another newcomer. He is Sebastian GBA, G-I-B-I-E-R, calling in from France. He says he's at the meeting point for SAP customers and startups on the French market who want to innovate together. And Sebastian's background includes launching a chain of stores, Rue de la Plage, and a startup, B-E-P-L-E-E-Z.com. So we'll talk to him about that. Now let me turn back and officially welcome Brian Pierce at EY. And Brian has sent me a quote from Mark Zuckerberg. Can't think of anybody better to quote on a show about graduates and millennials starting businesses. And here's the quote. The biggest risk is not taking any risk. I think everybody knows who, who Mark Zuckerberg is. Brian Pierce, welcome. How are you? Great, Bonnie. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, we are delighted. Do you think there's anybody out there who hasn't heard of Zuckerberg and would like me to read a little bio on him, Brian? What do you think? Should I? Uh, I think if they've been living under a rock. Otherwise, I think everyone <laughs> knows uh, Mark pretty well. Mark is an American programmer, internet, internet entrepreneur, executive philanthropist, and here's the biggie. He's the chairman, CEO, and co-founder, co-founder with question marks, if anybody saw the social network movie, of social networking website Facebook. His net worth is estimated to be $53.7 billion as of this month, ranking him as the fifth richest person in the world, and he was born in 1984. It gives me goosebumps, Brian. So, Brian, tell me, why did you pick this quote, the biggest risk is not well, I just think risk. for uh, graduates coming out of university and college today, uh, you know, they have so many great opportunities in front of them, but I, I really do think that it takes a mindset of being willing uh, to take a risk, to try something uh, non-traditional, to try something new, and, and uh, as we see from so many people, including the likes of Mark Zuckerberg, uh, taking that risk really does often pay off, and, and at a minimum, you're going to have some great experiences, you're going to learn a lot about your and about the world of business and about the world around you. And uh, for those uh, that are, are fortunate enough to have a successful idea, uh, you know, an opportunity to really build something substantial and significant. Thank you, Brian. Were you surprised at what I read, the report from Forbes just a couple of months ago? Not Millipreneurs? in the least. In fact, it, it really, really uh, underscores something that we did uh, in June of this year with our global job creation survey. And, and we know that uh, it is these young entrepreneurs that are building companies and, and creating jobs and, and developing innovation that's uh, good for their own business as well as of great interest to corporates. Why is it of interest to corporates? Just give me a little more background well, before I move to are, the are really trying to access innovation externally as well as through their own R&D programs, but there's been a, uh, a growing realization over the last few years that uh, the right innovation to propel a corporate and, and maintain market leadership and, and growth is not going to come only from internal R&D. It has to come from external 
sources and often those external sources are young entrepreneurs and the uh, the innovative young companies that they're creating and they want to partner with corporates it's good for the young company to get a customer or a channel it's great for the established big company to have new technology and new innovation Thank you, Brian. Great introduction to our topic and welcome. And now let me welcome Jose Fernandez. As I mentioned, he's the director of programs of the Global Good Fund and a former consular officer of the Consulate General of Spain in New York. And Jose has sent me a very interesting quote from Phil Libin, L-I-B-I-N, CEO of Evernote. Let me give a little background here, Jose, before I introduce you because I was new to Phil Lubin. I want to see who he is. So I found out he was born in Russia in St. Petersburg in 1970 and came to the U.S. at the age of eight. He served as CEO of the Silicon Valley-based software company Evernote from 2007 to 2015 and currently serves as executive chairman. Interesting guy. He founded and served as president of Core Street, which was acquired by Active Identity, now owned by HID Global. I'm seeing all of this cascading of companies gobbling up companies. He also founded and was CEO of Engine 5, an internet software developer. Development company, which was acquired by Vignette. And what's interesting to me is that Phil Leibin graduated from the Bronx High School of Science in 1989 and attended BU Boston University with a concentration in computer science. I have a, a partial bachelor's degree my second two years at Boston University, so I guess he's a fellow alum. So here's the quote Jose has selected from Phil Leibin. There's lots of bad reasons to start a company. But there's only one good legitimate reason, and I think you know what it is. It's to change the world. Jose Fernandez, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm doing all right, Bonnie. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to welcome you. Quite a background. Uh, I want you to tell us first about why you picked this quote and, and what it means to you. And then if you just give us the, the uh, 10,000 foot or elevator speech on just a little bit about what the Global Good Fund does. But how did you pick the quote for our show today, Jose? I, um, I just uh, I found the quote really inspiring when I heard it for the first time because it reminds us why people become entrepreneurs. It's, uh, you know, when you when you want to find a solution to a problem that people have, that's when you become a true entrepreneur. That's where when your your sight is set in a vision that is long term, and that's when your success has a chance of becoming long term. If uh, you know all these graduates and undergraduates, they're coming with that idea of just uh, you know success being defined by by money, by the economic return of your effort, mm-hmm. and and that is such a short sighted uh, notion that eventually their success will be short-lived. And, um, and I think that if you go with the right, if, if, we, if we inspire um, our youth to go with the right um, mentality into entrepreneurship, I think that we have a chance of creating an incredible um, new generation that will just uh, raise us to new, uh, new highs. Well, I, I appreciate that. I have a question for you, Jose, and it all sounds good, but do you think families, let's look at the cost of education today. Families are spending umpteen amounts of money. Students are saddled with loans. I don't have to go into that one. We know that they can be following you around for most, if not all, of your adult life trying to pay off your loans unless there's an amnesty or forgiveness program or someone's generosity. So how do we get away from that motivation? Well, Bobby, well, Susie, we just paid for four years in graduate school, and uh, we're looking at a, you know, half a million dollars here in outlay from the family. Would you please go out and get a job and help pay us back? How do you get away from that and get into that higher level of 
good reason, legitimate reason to do good and change the world. Where do you think that shift comes, Jose? I, I think that the difference is between surviving and living. If you're, I mean, obviously it, we all come into huge hurdles and, and there's no doubt that the, the incredible amount of debt that the, the current um, uh, people coming out of university are facing is, uh, is frightening. But uh, if we only focus on surviving that debt, then we will only look for, for the jobs that can pay for it. And if, we, if we're looking for, for a way to, to use the tools that we've learned in, in university to do something of importance, then, then we might be able to solve those two problems at the, at the same time. I also believe that um, students should be in universities uh, throughout the world should be more, um, should uh, require more from their universities. They should ask more from their universities to prepare them to a world they no longer want uh, specific skills for specific tasks, but want uh, proactive entrepreneurs and proactive <coughs> entrepreneurs and just uh, um, people that are capable to find solutions to bonds that most people didn't even realize they had. Very well put. One more question before we move to Sebastian and his wonderful quote. Uh, Jose, do you think it's in the millennials' DNA to say, I want to change the world? Do you think the, uh, that a millennial would say to a parent, oh, mom and dad, give it a rest. I'm going to change the world. The money will come. Let me go with my good idea. Let me go help with sustainability. Let me support small industries in other countries. Let me help change, uh, work with climate, work with with the resources that are scarce, work with disenfranchised or underrepresented people, as you have done with your political background, Jose. Do you think millennials have that in their DNA and they've just seen enough of the world in their few years to say, I have a bigger idea, mom and dad, the money will come? What do you think? Undoubtedly. I think that millennials uh, understand how lucky they are with all the privileges that uh, that we have. And um, and my, my experience... Uh, Traveling the world, meeting these uh, you know entrepreneurs, for profit, not for profit, uh, these social entrepreneurs that the Global Good Fund helps uh, throughout the the world. I've I've uh, I've been um, in awe of their capacity to to just see the world with different eyes. And it's not so much that they, I mean, I just think that they've they've redefined success for themselves. And and their definition of success needs requires purpose. Uh, they need to do something that is intentional. They need their work to be purposeful. They need their their professional to career to be meaningful and something that is important to them. And that is breaking the rules uh, of uh, traditional business, where where the company, the corporate culture, defined what was important. Here, millennials are defining what is, what is meaningful to them, and it is that that drives them towards um, towards their their work every day. And that also that them to do more than expected and uh, and think out of the box in, in, in meaningful ways. Thank you, Jose. Thank you for indulging my questions. I appreciate it. And just in, in uh, two sentences, what does your company do, the Global Good Fund? The, the Global Good Fund is a nonprofit organization that helps social entrepreneurs around the world to grow as leaders and um, scale through those through that leadership development program, through that mentorship that we give them, through the uh, the coaching that we supply for them, and the economic help and infrastructure and uh, and the network that we uh, that we assist them with, we help them grow as leaders and therefore grow scale their the operations of their organizations. 
these are young entrepreneurs that are um, are leading for-profit or not-for-profit organizations um, that are serving underserved communities, uh, helping communities around the world uh, in various in many different ways, and um, and we uh, we have a, a wonderful fellowship program that is um, that supports them for 15 months and uh, and beyond that with our our network of, of fellows and, uh, and entrepreneurs. Thank you very much, Jose, and welcome. And now, Sebastian, I didn't forget you. You're calling from France. And Sebastian, of course, has sent us a beautiful quote from Antoine de Saint-Exupéry. Anybody remembers back to your French studies, as I do, a beautiful book with, I think it was a a star or a moon and a a little boy, an image, and it was Le Petit Prince. Let me give you a little background. Antoine-Marie-Jean-Baptiste Roger, Comte de Saint-Exupéry, lived from 1900 to 1944. He was a French writer, poet, aristocrat, journalist, and pioneering aviator. He became a laureate of several of France's highest literary awards and also won the U.S. National Book Award. He's best remembered for his novella, The Little Prince, Le Petit Prince, and for his lyrical aviation writings, including Wind, Sand, and Stars, and Night Flight. And here's a little trivia. Saint-Exupéry was a successful commercial pilot before World War II, working the airmail routes in Europe, Africa, and South America. I did not know that. And here is the quote Sebastian has sent, and we're going to ask him to explain it to us. It's, what makes the desert beautiful, said the little prince, is that somewhere it hides a well. Sebastian, I'm in dreamland with this beautiful quote. Comment ça va, Sebastian? How are you? Bonjour, Bonnie. Uh, thank you for inviting me to the uh, Saprazi show. It's, uh, it's really a pleasure to, to join you. We are delighted to have you. So tell me, are you a big fan of Saint Exupéry? Do you have a copy? I won't ask if it's an autograph copy, but do you have a copy of Le Petit Prince there on the desk with you, or is it an ebook yet? Talk to me, Sebastian. <laughs> no, I, I've got it. Uh, I've got a copy of it uh, uh, in my library. And in fact, w- when you ask me to participate to this show uh, and at about, about to talk about uh, the topics, I directly think to my to my kids. Uh, and um, because, because, in fact, I often read this book, this book to my kids before they, they go to sleep. And, um, and I say, I will pick up uh, something from, from The Little Prince. How lovely. Now tell me about this particular quote. We're talking about new college graduates is now the time to start a business. What does it take? So where is it in this desert, beautiful desert, that there's a well hidden? Let's let's uh, make it a parable or a metaphor. How does it relate to our new college grads and our millennials? Yeah, in fact, the, um, the desert reflects um, the, the unknown. And uh, for youngers, uh, it's uh, the... The adult life is, is a bit like uh, the desert. Uh, wh- what job they will do? What uh, do they have to uh, um, to entrepreneur to, to start a business? It's a very difficult question, and all those questions is uh, made of a lot of risk. Uh, I come back to the, the quote of Mark Zuckerberg: "The biggest risk is not taking any risk." It's, it's, it's nearly the same. And I think that in this quote uh, of uh, uh, Saint-Exupéry, uh, it's very optimistic because, okay, okay, you're in a desert, but there's always a well in this desert. You have to find it, but don't worry, don't be scared. Uh, you, will need, you will find it. 
You know something, Sebastian? I'm thinking uh, we should dig up these books, get a bunch of copies, and send them to parents of millennials who've just graduated and say, somewhere in that beautiful desert of your child, there is a well of goodness and of opportunity, and maybe they'll start a business and change the world. I, th- I think that would be a, a lovely message for parents. Jose, do you agree with that one? Uh, completely. <laughs> we got to go on a book-buying spree. Brian Pierce, do you agree as well? Absolutely. Good. See, we, we took this uh, Liberty Prance from way back in the day, and, and we made it into a parable for modern modern people. Now that I've worked my panel so hard, I'm going to find out a little bit about each of you personally. This is the part of the show called What's in Your Cup Today. little storytelling. Brian Pierce, let me ask you where you're calling from. I'm in New York. It's 1021 a.m. If you're in a different time zone, tell us what time it is. And what are you drinking right now, Brian, or what do you plan to drink after the show? Well, I am based in Boston today, and I'm drinking, uh, after all of this conversation about wells, a, uh, a tall glass of water, uh, probably right out of the beautiful Charles River. <laughs> I, I'm afraid to ask, to, did you put it through a filter first? With a, with a little filtration, of course. Oh, my goodness. I'm picturing them rowing on the Charles. Yes, I'm picturing. I lived in Cambridge for years. I'm picturing yes. them rowing in the, and the, the boats on the, the Charles and the boathouse in MIT. Yes, yes, yes. And why are you drinking water? Is it a health thing? Are you getting ready for a marathon? Are you watching the Olympics and they're just inspiring you? What's going on? Uh, well, that's a great question. No, I had an early start today, and I think I've had my fill of coffee, so I've moved on to water. There you go. That's a good thing. I'll tell you my little secret afterwards. Thank you, Jose Fernandez. Where are you calling from, and what are you drinking? Or what's your favorite drink, Jose? I'm calling from New York City, and um, right now I'm I'm drinking my favorite uh, kind of coffee. It's a café bonbon, which um, I guess would translate into bonbon coffee. So I'm originally from Spain, and uh, this uh, this uh, coffee is very typical there. Um, it's basically an espresso with uh, um, sweetened condensed milk. Um, it's a very sweet coffee, and it's um, you know, it's I'm just a, I'm a sweet tooth. I and I see I'm a lover of coffee, but I'm a I'm a very very hypocritical lover of coffee because I see it more as a canvas where you can just paint a, a creation of sweetness with uh, a lot of things. This one in particular, the one that I'm drinking now, is uh, has a strong influence from. From my time in Mexico, because I, I did it with uh, cajeta, which is uh, um, just a very thick syrup that is made of uh, sweetened caramelized uh, goat milk. So yeah, it's basically sweetened caramelized goat milk with uh, with coffee with an espresso. Wow! And tell me again, what's the name of the coffee you're drinking? I didn't. Café bonbon. So I don't know how. I guess it was. I mean, the, the literal translation would be um, uh, bomb bomb coffee. Um, I, got I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Café Bonbon, B-O-M-B-O-N, the coffee exactly. wiki on Wikia, coffee.wikia, W-I-K-I-A.com. Café Bonbon was made popular mm-hmm. in Valencia, Spain, and gradually spread to the rest of the world. I have images of it. It's beautiful. And here is a uh, an article from December 3rd, 2013, Café Bonbon. I didn't know I should make a post about it or not. It's so easy to prepare. It doesn't need a recipe. And there's a website called mm-hmm. honestcooking.com slash spanish dash B-O-N-B-O-N-Coffee. So there you go, Spanish coffee with condensed milk. Thank you for that introduction, Jose. I'm going to have to try one of those. And now let's talk to Sebastian. Sebastian, I don't think I found out where in France you are today. So why don't you tell us that and what you're drinking? 
Bonnie, you will be jealous because uh, I'm on vacation. <laughs> I'm uh, in a small island called Ile de Noirmoutier in the west coast of France. And uh, there's uh, beautiful weather today. And uh, so I'm sure you're jealous. I'm totally jealous. Now, what are you drinking with your beautiful weather on your vacation? And thank you for taking time for us. What are you drinking? Uh, it's, it's tea time in France, so I'm having a, a Lapsin Souchon. It's a, it's a smoky black tea um, with a strong taste, taste but uh, it's uh, very delicious. Um, and it's, uh, it's uh, wonderful to, to have this tea because, in fact, it's one year that I, I drink tea. Uh, my wife brings me to, to it, and uh, it's a thing that I try to replace more and more coffee by, by tea. So, Thank you very much. I just looked it up. It's Lapsang Suchong Tea, and you can look it up on Wikipedia, L-A-P-S-A-N-G-S-O-U-C-H-O-N-G. Well, I have, yes, I am jealous. Thank you very much, Sebastian. I'm in New York, Jose. I'm going to lean out the window. Jose, I'm on the north shore of Long Island. I'm looking out the window, and I'm waving. Can you see the hand and the curly red hair somewhere on on the head that's attached to the hand that's waving out the window? I'm waving at you. And Brian, I'm waving up the coast, up the northeast coast to you in Boston, and Sebastian is just a, a virtual wave to you. I'm drinking cool, clear water. They don't let me have caffeine on radio show days. Tuesday is a double header, so we've got another show an hour after this one, so I'm safe with water. It's in a cool, clear glass with a pink straw, hoping that we'll have a beautiful sunset today. And in honor of all of the games in Rio, congratulations to all of the winners from every country. I hope everybody's doing well today. So you're listening to Game Changers Radio. Officially, this is Future of the Future with Game Changers. Our sponsor is Brad Borkin over in the UK. Shout out to Brad. I know he's listening by now. Great topic, Brad. New college grads is now the time to start a business. We have a wonderful panel speaking with, I'm speaking with Brian Pierce at EY, Jose Fernandez at the Global Good Fund, and Sebastian GBA at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. So there. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back with lots more. You know what's next? The round table. Don't want to miss it. Michael out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. An unprecedented pace of change, driven by exciting technology advances like the Internet of Things, is disrupting your industry and every other industry around the globe. Your future business success will be influenced by your ability to understand and harness these innovations and many more. Mobile devices instantaneously connecting the world populations, robotics, 3D printing, and self-driving cars. The sharing economy and ubiquitous global business networks. Reality Check. The future is happening right now. Join us for insights from industry experts on what it all means for your business and your daily life. The Future of the Future with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. Listening to the future of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. 
Now, let's get back to the future of the future with Game Changers. Exactly right. That's what the man said, and he tells the truth. I'm on today with Brian Pierce at EY, Jose Fernandez at the Global Good Fund, and Sebastian Gibier at SAP. And I'm still Bonnie DeGram. I promised you I would, I would be, and I be. Here we go. Brian Pierce has agreed to start the roundtable with us. Uh, Brian is a partner with Ernst & Young and the EY Global Leader of Entrepreneurship. And just let me tell everybody, Brian oversees the EY Entrepreneur of the Year program. I know everybody has heard about that. They operate in 60 countries, 150 cities representing more than 90% of the world's GDP, and he manages Entrepreneur of the Year Alumni Network and the EY World Entrepreneur of the Year Program in Monaco, or as some people say, Brian, Monaco, excuse me. Now, Brian has sent me a lot of interesting talking points here for the roundtable. Let me start with the first one. Brian, why don't you elaborate on this for two minutes? I'm going to read it first. Uh, Two minutes, and then we will invite Jose and then Sebastian to chime in as well. So Brian says, students in universities around the world are being exposed to practice training on how to create a startup business more than ever before, and this is being supplemented with great coursework. Let me stop there. Brian, why don't you tell us with the rest of this, please? Sure. Well, sometimes the story is the best way to illustrate. I spoke with a uh, colleague of mine who's actually uh, off on leave right now at Cambridge University in the UK, and, uh, and we spoke this morning about the business that she is creating as part of her coursework uh, doing an MBA at Cambridge. Uh, she has access to, obviously, a lot of great training that has happened uh, during her coursework there. Uh, part of the uh, the requirements for graduation is to create a business, and she is actually doing this in uh, in real time with uh, with members of her family. Um, and the business uh, benefits from you know incubation and acceleration services at the school. Uh, the other thing that we see often is that um, these incubators and accelerators not only help people to form a business, but also to promote cross-faculty uh, or cross-functional teams. So you may have a business major combining with an engineering major or a medicine major and so on to create a really strong team. Many of them also offer uh, funding and, and access to mentor networks and so on. And, and really what this is doing is helping these uh, graduates students to graduate with an idea, in many cases with a business actually being formed, uh, but at a minimum uh, they've caught the bug for uh, learning how to become uh, entrepreneurs and have an entrepreneurial mindset and whether they launch their own business or go and work for an entrepreneur, uh, they're coming out with an absolutely fantastic uh, skill set and, and network. Excellent. Quick question for you before I invite Jose and Sebastian to chime in. Brian, question is, should young students, young high school students looking for colleges ask the question of the universities they are considering, do you have an entrepreneurship program? Do you have a startup incubator? Is this a question the students and their families should ask? I think this is ask? a great question. And what Thank we're you. seeing uh, through organizations like the Network for Teaching Entrepreneurship, which is uh, another New York-based uh, global organization that trains high school students in the basic principles of entrepreneurship. So many students are graduating not only college, but even high school now with an appreciation for what it takes to uh, to start your own business, and, and they want to hone that skill. And so I think you're absolutely right to 
explore universities, whether you're a business major or some other, uh, you know, faculty that is of interest, having the ability to network and form teams and to learn how to take whatever skill set you have, whether it's engineering, medicine, or something else, uh, and turn that into a business is really a great, great way to uh, to start your life post-graduation. Thank you, Brian. I want to get Jose Fernandez in on this. Jose, what's your thought on what Brian just introduced? Agree, disagree, raise the bar. What do you think? I completely agree. I think that uh, universities understand that uh, more and more around the world, especially here in the U.S., that um, they need to give the tools to to their undergraduates to make them, to turn them into leaders of the entrepreneurial world. And uh, again, that's not an easy thing to do because um, they are changing that world, and, it, and it's, it's making um, the um, the economic sector, the uh, the corporate world, to evolve ever more quickly. So the the skills needed are always uh, are always changing. But um, but at, at least I I completely agree with Brian. They're giving them the spotlight. I think that uh, organizations, uh, the learning organizations of the world are understanding that um, you need to blur the line between the teacher and the student, and you need to let the student lead a project, uh, let the student lead a, a company, let the student lead a team, and, uh, and you know, are just uh, changing the role of teachers into into moderators of a conversation that needs to be had between the students, not so much listening to what the teacher has to say about a certain subject, but uh, allowing the students to have a participative role in, in, in a conversation that, uh, that will turn out to be their life. Thank you very much, Jose. Very thoughtful response. Sebastian Gibier, I'd love to get your two cents or your POV on this or De Franc, whatever you've got. So what do you think? No, in, indeed, we, we've got uh, the same kind of program in our university or engineering school where uh, you could um, get uh, courses on how to entrepreneur, how to uh, start a business. Uh, we got uh, the same kind of things. But the, the interesting thing is that uh, all of the students will not uh, become entrepreneur or will not start a business. What they learn in this kind of courses is that... Uh, um, they learn to be more agile and uh, how they, can, they adapt, they can adapt to a, a very changing world. Um, it, it's really important. The world is more and more complex. There's uh, so many things to, to understand, uh, to, uh, to interact with. So we have to, to teach our uh, kids how to adapt to, uh, to, this, uh, to this world. So I think these kind of courses, business courses, uh, how to start a business, how to take risk, how to um, um, understand this, uh, this complex world, how to swap from a concept, uh, from an industry to another, uh, could be uh, really, is, is really important. Thank you, Sebastian. Brian, I'm going to briefly bounce this back to you since you started this, and then I'm going to move to some notes from Jose, some, another interesting segue from where you started. Brian Pierce, any closing thoughts on this part well, of Well, I, I just want to build on Sebastian's point, which I think mm-hmm. is a very strong one, That, uh, and we see this in uh, the work that I do uh, chairing the, the Network for Teaching Entrepreneurship Board here in New England. Whether we have a, a high school student in that case, but it applies to a college student as well, 
graduating with an, an entrepreneurial mindset, whether he or she goes on to create their own business initially or whether they go and work in, in another company, the mindset of being an entrepreneur, of being uh, responsible for your destiny and, uh, and knowing how to get things done, knowing how to innovate, all of that makes for a much better employee. And what we also know, and you touched on this at the outset of the call, Bonnie, is that mm -hmm. um, these millennials uh, want to work in organizations that have a clear purpose, and they want to contribute to that purpose, and if they're not aligned with that, they won't work there. And that's a big change from when, uh, when many of us began our careers. And so having a, a purpose-led organization that allows for uh, individuals to to come up with ideas and essentially build businesses inside of businesses as part of innovation is really, uh, I believe, a trend that we're seeing more and more. Thank you very much. Very thoughtful, and I appreciate that. Yes. Okay. Let me look at some notes here from Jose. Jose, one word is jumping out in particular. Let me read the statement you sent me, and I'll highlight the word, and then we can run with it. You say, often overlooked by traditional education, empathy, 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 we hear it more and more today, is the principal soft skill upon which we may derive our communication skills, our adaptability, our teamwork, critical observation, collaboration, and conflict resolution. I think you just wrapped everything up with a big red bow here, Jose. So why don't you tell us how does, how do they get empathy? How do the millennials get empathy? How do their parents get empathy? How does the workplace in general, big, what I I call behemoth enterprises. How do they get empathy, Jose? Yes, Bonnie. Um, I think the uh, the millennial generation is uh, is very lucky to be born uh, connected like we have never been connected before, and um, and they long for that empathy. They they feel that empathy, and um, and it's been a struggle for the millennial generation to to. Um, to find the harmony between our current culture and and their desire for that connectedness and that um, that uh, the feeling of empathy, because the, our world is not as empathetic as they would wish it to be, and um, and they're changing, they're leading that change. The uh, I think that the the teaching institutions of the world need to understand that empathy is um, is is a very very important skill that they that they need to exercise just like you would exercise any other muscle. And I think that um, an organization that leads with uh, empathy within the organization and, and in the services and products that they, they, they deliver, the way they treat their stakeholders, I think that those organizations are the ones that have a long-lasting impact. Those organizations are the ones that make their, their uh, clients and customers feel part of a story um, that is more than just the product they are purchasing and the service they are asking of that organization. They feel part of a movement. And, um, and I believe that's the future of, uh, of the entrepreneurial world. And I think that it will all be led by empathy. And it's just a, a critical skill that people, that organizations, that universities don't, don't devote. Um, most of them yet are not devoting a moment to, in their syllabus to, to, um, to study and to exercise. Interesting point. I'm going to be a little bit of a devil's advocate here, Jose, before we get Sebastian and Brian on this. When we read about millennials, we talk about millennials. I just had a on my personal radio show, Read My Lips, last night on a different channel. I interviewed a woman who is a corporate executive coach, and she's now coaching the millennials who were stuck without employment, stuck with 
go-nowhere, dead-end underemployment and who are just stuck on their parents' couches and don't plan to leave till they turn 30. That's the kids, not the parents. And I'm I'm looking at the, 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 the press about millennials. It's depressing. They say millennials are selfish. They're narcissistic. They're not motivated. And we're hearing something very different from you and Brian and Sebastian today. So how does a, a generational cohort, as we call them, how do they get empathy if we all think they're narcissistic and selfish? How do we convert that? Is that a tough challenge? Or do you think it's more optimistic and more of them have that empathy gene? Jose? Yes, I think that it's uh, empathy is a multiplier. I think that the moment you give um, those frustrated millennials, that uh, unemployed youth, you give them hope, um, it, it, it multiplies the strength of that capacity that they have to, to see a path or to make their own path um, towards, uh, towards, towards success. Um, I think that um, the currently there is it's just a question of... Um, of giving them the tools to feel that they can do more than just wait for the job that, that needs to come and they can build their own job. They, I think that examples like uh, Mark Zuckerberg, the, the uh, author of the quote that Brian introduced us, is, um, mm-hmm. um, is inspiring, but I think that it's also uh, misleading. I, uh, I think that millennials need to understand and that, that they are, I'm very, very hopeful and very optimistic about our prospects and about um, uh, the capacity of millennials to change our world for the better. But um, I think that examples like Mike Zuckerberg are, are misleading because they are not the only entrepreneurs they should be looking up to. Entrepreneurs, the real entrepreneurs, are those that just see a need and find a solution to it. And I think that, that worthy of, of the same praise as Mark Zuckerberg is any person that I, that I find, any, any of those unemployed um, millennials that I find in, in Central Park when I go for a walk and they and they sell you a, a bottle of water um, that is cold and and because they've mm-hmm. they found a need in a in a hot day in August in New York City uh, to be able to to get uh, a cold bottle of water for a reasonable price and and if and more often than that those those entrepreneurs will will have will find the need will find it interesting for them to hire a friend of theirs to, you know, pay them some bucks to go get more, more bottles of water from the nearest deli and go get some ice to, to keep the cooler cool. And, and that is creating employment. So that is an entrepreneur. That is a, that is a job creation. And it's, you don't need to look up to Mark Zuckerberg exclusively. You just need to, <laughs> to look at a need that you have in front of you and find a solution to it. Thank you. I, I love your output uh, outlook, and I'm thinking of you walking through Central Park, and I want to add one more thing before I get Sebastian in here. Another one of your notes, Jose, was people don't buy products or services. They desire experiences, and that cold bottle of reasonably priced water on a very hot day in Central Park is a desired experience. So thank you, Jose. Sebastian Jibier, sorry to make you wait. I'd love to have you talk about this empathy. Is it a gene? Is it teachable? Is it a, a moment that will just evolve? It'll be that aha eureka moment for everybody around the world and they say oh we need to think about more than ourselves in terms of starting up experiences and businesses what do you observe sebastian yeah rosie is totally right uh, in the future human interaction will be more and more important than, than ever uh, until now um, we, we really need to to teach our kids to uh, to talk different language understand different cultures and compose uh, with them. It's, it's really key. Often we, we, we say that uh, we need to teach our kids to uh, learn how to uh, 
program, application, computer science, uh, science etc. But I really think that empathy, uh, human interaction, is much more important. Uh, in my previous job, I was working on a search engine um, application, uh, and if you see uh, how much human behavior uh, is important in those technology, understand the linguistics, understand the cultural things, understand all the sociology skills, is, uh, is really important in all those applications. So programming is, is important, but empathy, uh, human interaction, human behavior uh, is, is really key also uh, uh, to tackle the future. Thank you very much. Brian Pierce, love to get your thoughts on this briefly. Sure. I think empathy and, and really understanding, you know, the needs that people have, you know, doesn't uh, have to be separate from the spark that creates a lot of great entrepreneurial companies. In fact, you mentioned it at the outset, uh, Bonnie, that, you know, many businesses begin with an idea or the importance of scratching an itch that someone has identified. And I think that empathy helps you identify those needs, those challenges that people are having in their life and whether it's, uh, you know, Uber creating a business around uh, the fact that people are frustrating trying to or frustrated trying to hail a taxi uh, in a major city or whether it's, uh, you know, a dating website or I heard of a new, new site last year, last week rather, that is just simply trying to uh, match people that are looking for friends, uh, much like a dating site, but only in, in a broader context. So, I think there are a lot of, you know, great itches that need to be scratched out there and, and having an understanding for what people are dealing with, be, being able to talk to them and get a deeper understanding uh, really is the genesis of a lot of great companies that will be formed. Thank you very much, Brian. Uh, Jose, I'm going to circle back to you very quickly and ask if you want to wrap this up. Anything you heard from Sebastian or Brian that you would like to comment on? I'd like to echo both of their comments. Uh I, I totally agree with uh, with Brian's look on on the fact that empathy actually uh, allows entrepreneurs to understand their consumers to understand needs. Uh, that is uh, that is a, a crucial aspect, a crucial ben- a benefit of empathy. Um, and um, I just uh, I guess I just uh, I'd like to wrap it up saying that I'm hopeful about uh, universities and and all, all forms of educational organizations uh, to include. Um, empathy in, into what they understand as a very important skill that they need to make sure they um, and they, they empower their their students to to exercise and to strengthen. Thank you very much. Very thoughtful response and. Sebastian, I found, I think, a gem here in your notes. That's why I asked for so much. So I'd have, I like to say, I need places to take the conversation. And we're, uh, oh my goodness, we're about five, four minutes from the start of our crystal ball predictions round. So Sebastian, let me just read the statement from your notes and have you respond. And maybe we can just get 30 seconds from Brian and from Jose. You say, it sounds counterintuitive, but by the year 2030, many of the world's largest economies will have more jobs than adult citizens to do those jobs. And this is from Rainer Strack Research. By 2030 in Germany, 8 million workforce will be missing due to the pyramid of ages and the improvements of productivity. Think about robotics, etc. Sebastian, can you unravel this for me? Are we talking about great opportunity here? Talk to me. Yeah, it, it was really surprising to, uh, to me when I, I uh, watched this uh, TEDx from Rainer Stark. 
for the BCD. Um, and it, what, it is amazing because if you look in France or, or in Germany, it's nearly the same. We've got at the moment 10% of unemployment, which is really huge. And we think when we think it's in, in 2030, it's, it's just in 14 years from now that we will miss some uh, workforce. It, it's really incredible. So I, I really found this, uh, uh, this uh, TEDx very uh, inspiring uh, because um, it's, uh, it's, it's very optimistic for my kids. When I, my kids will, will arrive on the job market, they will have, they will have some, some space for them to, to find a job. The only problem is that uh, competency that we know now will not exist anymore in 14 or 15 years from now. So we have to uh, find what will be the next competency uh, to, to, have, to, uh, to get the right job. So, but I found this, uh, this quote and this TEDx very uh, optimistic uh, when we look to uh, uh, the workforce um, uh, topics. Thank you, Sebastian, and I like that you threw in the word optimistic. I think I did, but it also circles back to my opening where I said the prospects of millennials, of young college graduates can go either one way. They can go gloomy, oh my goodness, not enough jobs, companies running lean and mean, cutting workforce, cutting wages, wow, what are we going to do, bringing in temporary workers, consultants, people who are not going to get the benefits and, and drain the coffers versus optimism. So I'm glad we're wrapping up the conversation with that. Brian Pierce, I'd love to have you talk about what Sebastian just introduced about economies with more jobs than people to do them, but needing new skill sets. What do you think, Brian? Well, I, I, two comments. One is uh, we have, uh, you know, some of this happening already in certain parts of the world. Japan is a good example where uh, when I was there a few months ago, you know, the talk was how do we introduce more robotics into healthcare and home care because there are not enough young people to look after the older people as they, uh, you know, have more medical and, and, and homebound needs. And so robotics is already something that Japan is looking at uh, very strongly. But I think the second point I would make is, is dealing with the fact that there will be, um, you know, impedance mismatches in, in employment and in, in aging of population around the world. We'll have certain countries in the West primarily that will have aging populations and, and uh, have the situation you described, but we will also have uh, other parts of the world that will continue because of birth rates to have, um, you know, high levels of youth and so on. And, and so it really becomes incumbent on us as established business people and certainly on the next generation coming through to, to really be effective in dealing globally uh, because the people that you're working with may be beside you at the next desk. They might be around the world and, and understanding the cultural differences and how to adapt to the technology that allows you to work effectively is really going to be an essential skill set that, again, uh, probably wasn't all that important for many of us when we were starting our career, but it's certainly critical today and will become even more important in the future. Brian, did you just give me your crystal ball prediction? I have a feeling we, we by osmosis, we already went into the predictions. Was, was that the, you want to go on record with that as your prediction? I'm happy with that. What do you think? It's, it's all up to you. <laughs> I think that was good. Let, let me, let's see. Maybe we'll have time for one more. Uh, Jose, you can respond to what Sebastian introduced about economies with more jobs than adults to do them. And, or I tell you what, make it a response to that, a quick one, and then give me your prediction. Look ahead in the future. I'll give you 60 seconds for whatever you want to say. Jose Fernandez, go. 
Wonderful. Yeah, I, I, I agree with both Sebastian and, and Brian. Um, <laughs> this is an amazing panel. They, um, they were very insightful. I, I think that, that it is, uh, that we will have, um, a lack of people to, to fulfill a lot of jobs that we will need. But, um, because I also think that, and I think that technology will be helping, but, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna join that with my, my prediction for, for the mm-hmm. whole discussion topic. And I'm gonna say that, that I, I think that universities, um, will also, um, a pitch in here because technology is only destroying the jobs that have less value added, uh, that, that add less value to, uh, to our life experience. And, uh, and once and a person's a professional career, professional experience becomes obsolete due to technology, um, universities will have to pitch in. Uh, educational institutions, I know, will do the right thing, and they will uncover the potential of those people because I believe that the entrepreneurial spirit is within uh, the human design. It is innate to all of us. I think that eventually we will all become entrepreneurs uh, in, in, in different of different types, and I think that technology is just going to incentivize and it's going to accelerate that process, uh, where all the jobs that um, that allow us to give that don't allow us to give less, uh, that don't allow us to add value to society, will be overtaken, and, and we'll be able to use our our potential, our creativity, and our our um, our thirst for discovery to to expand those horizons professionally. That is so beautifully put. I think you just wrote a poem for me, for us. Thank you very much, Jose. I really appreciate that. Sebastian, I'll circle around to you. I can give you 60 seconds. Why don't you give me your predictions, please? How far in the future? My crystal ball uh, prediction is um, I, I really think that manual job will be more and more important. Uh, we we uh, often say to our kids that uh, we have to, they have to, Think about intellectual job uh, in the programming, in the computer sciences, etc. But I really think that manual job will be more and more uh, looked forward. And um, uh, this is my, my crystal ball prediction. Manual jobs will be more important and more sought after. What kind of manual jobs? Can you give us an idea? Where are you predicting them? Um, I don't know, but uh, if you look at uh, carpenters, for example, I've got a, a good friend of mine who's uh, taking care of about uh, a classical boats, uh, boats that have uh, 100 uh, uh, years old, and uh, he reshapes them uh, with his hands, uh, making them with uh, with uh, old uh, um, old wood, etc. I think this uh, this kind of job that will uh, get back. Uh, a lot of uh, job uh, to uh, uh, make uh, extraordinary um, house, etc. So uh, I think that uh, we're going to, to have those uh, those jobs very important to make uh, our life uh, very different from and unique. Thank you. I'm thinking you're talking about artisans. You're talking about manual expertise in beauty and uniqueness. Am I right on that, Sebastian? Yes, exactly. Yes, that's what we need. We need to get away from everybody the same and more like make for me or make because I am special. I can give you, uh, oh my goodness, I don't have any more time. I'll give you a one-sentence wrap-up on your prediction, Mr. Brian Pierce. Go fast. 
I agree. I think that uh, entrepreneurship will continue to be important, whether it's in a manual profession, uh, as has been described, or uh, in, a, in a more technological profession. But the key is going to be to understand uh, people around the world and have a global mindset. Thank you very much. What a great panel. Brian Pierce at EY. Jose Fernandez, the Global Good Fund, Sebastian Gibier at SAP. Shout out to Brad Borkin at SAP. You are tweeting, Brad. He says, entrepreneurial spirit is part of human design. Amen to that. Thank you very much. Shout out also to his colleague, Susan Walker at SAP. And I think I thank Michael at the Business Channel for getting us on the air and keeping us on the air. It has been a very interesting conversation. I feel very privileged to have spoken to such interesting thought leaders. So thank you, Brian Jose and Sebastian. Again, I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Here's my call to action. And remember, in one hour, I'll be back with a new episode of Financial Excellence with Game Changers right here on the Business Channel at World Talk Radio, talking about the three lines of defense. If you're in finance, you know what that means. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bye-bye for now. Thanks again for tuning in to the future of the future with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america business channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericabusiness.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management.